Welcome, and thanks for joining us for this episode of the C3 Church Podcast. You're about to listen into a message from one of our gatherings. To find out more about our community, where we gather both in person and online, and how to get involved, head to cfreechurch.ca. Now, let's listen into a message from a recent service. Wow, we're in the Christmas season. Uh, I think it started a couple weeks ago, but we're here. And uh, everything's chaotic and everything is getting busy. And today it's snowing on top of all of that. And, uh, you know, we just, you know, it was kind of one of those things. We didn't have snow for a while. And I was kind of hoping it maybe wouldn't come. Um, But, you know, sometimes what you hope for doesn't happen. And, you know, and that's unfortunate. Uh, but, you know, sometimes you still hope for those things. I want to, you know, I'm thinking as we think of this Christmas season, one of the things that we talk about, I know we're going to talk about it today, but it's this idea of peace and hope and, and those things. And yet, we look at our world today, and I would say that our world in general is far from peaceful. Um, and when there's no peace, there's generally not a lot of hope. And in our world, there's war, there's rumors, there's all these things going on, and it can steal our hope and it can steal our peace. How many of you have ever heard of a, an olive branch? I mean, in a figurative sense. In a figurative sense, if there's a dispute going on or there's uh, a, a war going on and somebody wants to uh, begin to take the steps to bring about uh, uh, agreement, to bring about reconciliation, to bring about restoration, that can be said of them that they want to offer an olive branch, that they bring an olive branch, but the olive branch is only as good as the person who's holding it. A promise for peace, a promise for reconciliation is only as good as the one who makes the promise. In fact, our whole hope is only as good as the one who we're depending on to fulfill his promises. If you, uh, I, I like it today, we're going to go to the book of Jeremiah, Jeremiah chapter 33. We're looking at a few verses this morning, but Jeremiah 33, we're going to put it up on the screen, and, and I'd love it if you could read it out loud with me. We don't read uh, out loud scripture a lot of times, but the Bible does say that faith comes by hearing the word of God. So we're just building faith in each other as we do that, but would you just read along with me? It says, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will fulfill the good promise I made to the people of Israel and Judah. In those days and at that time, I will make a righteous branch sprout from David's line. He will do what is just and right in the land. In those days, Judah will be saved and Jerusalem will live in safety. This is the name by which it will be called, the Lord our righteous Savior. Can, be, can I... Can I, can I just, I'm just going to venture into something this morning just to, to kind of clarify some things. We know there's a war going on in, in the Middle East. Israel, Hamas, it's not the first war, not ever. Can, can I just, uh, I, I'm not making a political statement, I just want to say this. As Christians, we need to be very careful that we don't quickly identify the nation of Israel as the same as what the Bible says is the people of Israel. Ethnic Israelis is different than political. And just, I'm just putting that there because I just want us to be very careful that we don't mix our politics with our beliefs and that we understand that that's, there's human rights issues, there's all sorts of stuff going on, 
And, and let's not just blindly say, hey, you know, it's Israel, so therefore everything's good. Actually, that's not what God's talking about. God's talking about a people who he has called to be in relationship with him. Not a nation, not a political state, but people. And as he's talking about this, he's in, as we read in, in Jeremiah, it's, he's referring back to the ancient group of people, the Israelites, the, the Jews who were in a covenant with God. And God made all sorts of promises to them, but the result of those promises that that group of people, they didn't really appreciate the promises. They, they took advantage. They, they, the Bible says they sinned. They did wicked things. They did evil things. In fact, the reality is, although we had, could go through this whole list of things they did, the biggest thing that they did was that instead of worshiping an unseen God, they went, you know what, we need to bring God down more to the size that we can understand him. And they made idols. They made images of God. Not the real thing. And you know, that, that happens a lot in our life when we don't, uh, we don't want to live with the unseen God. We've got to bring him down and make him manageable for us. That we, we lose our sense of wonder. I'll tell you something. We should always feel like God is more mysterious and more wonderful than we can understand. Because if you begin to say, boy, I've got a grasp of who God is, you probably don't have the right God. You've got a hold of something else that you can understand, but God is bigger, God is greater, God is more magnificent and wonderful, more mysterious than we can imagine. And when we try to make him too small, we become guilty of idolatry like the Israelites were. As a result of the idolatry, their rejection of God, God said, if you're going to reject me, I need to reject you. It's just it's a mutual thing that happens. It's not that I'm trying to get rid of you, but he said, I need to send you off. And so they were punished as a result of that, they were, they were sent off into exile. Interesting, when I think about exile, so many people in our world today, again, are living in resettlement camps, and they're really in exile. It's not a punishment. But I can't imagine what it would be like to be living away from the place where you were born and where your history was and when your life was. And along comes in the middle of this Along comes Jeremiah in this verse we read. In the middle of this, he gives this promise. He says, days are coming when I will fulfill the good promise I made to you. Yeah. There's, there's a day that's coming that I'm going to fulfill that promise. It doesn't look like it right now. You might look at whatever you're going through. You might look at whatever you're in right now and you're feeling like, you know, God made me some promises or I feel like there were some things that I should be expecting, but it just doesn't look like it right now. In fact, it looks far from that right now. I, I can't imagine that the Israelites in exile, as they sat in exile, that they even for a moment began to think that this was going to get better because it had just been a long downhill decline for them for years and now they were finally in exile and God had been uh, dealing with them and they were very very discouraged I wonder what the Hebrew word for discouragement is they, they, they were discouraged because they were there and yet Jeremiah comes into the middle of this and he says he says I am uh, I'm declaring on behalf of God who will fulfill his good promises to you it's a we call this a messianic prophecy. Messianic prophecy is a 
prediction in the Old Testament that looked forward to the Messiah, the one we know as Jesus. And in that looking forward to this messianic prophecy, God was making a promise. And I want you to know today, when we think about hope, I want you to know today that we have a Lord who makes good promises to his people. God doesn't make bad promises to us. God makes good promises to us. Jeremiah says, he says, I'm going to fulfill a good promise. Why did he have to say good promise? Because sometimes we, we know people who make bad promises. <clears throat> My wife, when we first got married, she had this thing she refused to say. She would never say, I promise. She's never said it. She said, I, I was brought up not to say I promise because promises are meant to be broken. Some of us might carry that around in our heart. We've been disappointed, promises broken. We've had people say they would do things for us, say they would be there for us. How many times have we felt like somebody said to us, I will be there when you need me, and when we needed them, they weren't? Yeah. Felt like people aren't dependable. People aren't reliable. People say things and they don't mean it. I have a good friend. He's uh, originally from New Zealand. He lives in Australia. And he uh, travels around and he said, he said, I want you to understand something. He said, he would tell his friends that were coming to the United States. And he said, when you come to the United States, he said, people come up to them and say, hey, if you're ever here, if you ever come back, come look me up, you can stay with me. He says, they don't mean it. He said he had one friend from New Zealand who had been told that and they came over to San Diego and looked them up, knocked on the door, and they said, what are you doing here? Well, you told me I could come and stay here, and I didn't mean that. And we get disappointed because people make promises that they don't mean. You know, we're not exempt as Canadians. I can't imagine that we've ever, or you have ever, or I've ever said something politely what, that we didn't really mean, but just because we were trying to get out of a conversation or we were trying to not seem like we were saying no. Now, does that ever happen? Happens. And we become guilty. We become fuel in the, in the experience of the people that we encounter, fuel in their disappointment and fuel in their not believing in promises. So it becomes a big thing for us to come as believers to say, God, I, God I, I'm having to take a step of faith and believe that you actually make good promises. That you do make good promises, that you are good towards me, that your, that your uh, direction, your face, your intention towards me is good. Your intention towards me is, is beneficial. Your intention towards me is blessing, not cursing. We have a Lord that makes those kinds of promises. Luke chapter 1 verse 26 to verse 38, and I'd love again if you'd read this with me. It says, in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin uh, pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, greetings, you who are favored, the Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. 
You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He'll be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I'm a virgin? The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Holy Most High will overshadow you, so the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. Read, let's read it again. Can you just leave that back up for a second. Let's read it again. For no word from God will ever fail. Let, let, read it again. For no word from God will ever fail. Can we read it again? For no word from God will ever fail. Maybe again. Can, for no word from God will ever fail. Uh, can, can we read it again? For, for no word from God will ever fail. Are you starting to get it? It's, it's, it says, for no word from God will ever fail. It didn't say just some words. It didn't just say just occasional words. It says whatever God says to you won't fail. Verse 38 says, I'm the Lord's servant. Mary answered, may your word to me be fulfilled. Lord, whatever you say, let it happen. I think Mary had some hope. I think Mary had some hope. You see, yes, what Mary understood as she read, as she heard this, as she read this, is not only was it a God who promised things, but it was a God who kept his promises. I don't think most of us here today, our, our, our issue is not whether God promises things. The issue that we're wrestling with is God actually keeping his promises. Is God actually keeping his promises? Is God actually doing what, what I thought he said he would do? Is God actually doing those kinds of things? And I, uh, <clears throat> I don't know if you've heard, A.W. Tozer, he uh, said this. He said, study the scriptures and you'll find that we're not going to have more faith by counting the promises of God. Faith does not rest upon promises. Faith rests upon character. Faith must rest in confidence upon the one who makes the promises. You know, we, sometimes we, we think we're, we're depending on God's promises, but actually what we should be doing and putting our hope in is in God. The one who makes the promise. Is the one who makes the promises faithful? Is the one who makes these commitments to us, is the one that does those kinds of things, is he in fact faithful? Does he follow through? Is he is the Lord who keeps his promises? And he writes that God has made promises in the scripture that one day he would indeed rescue them and put everything right. And those promises focused on one thing in particular, that God would be king. You know, I, when I think about promises, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm good. I know God makes promises, and, and, I'm, and, I, and I know God keeps his promises. The, the problem is I'm usually mistaken about what he meant. You with me? My, my, my problem is not God. My problem is always me. It's, it's not that I, I'm good. God, God promises stuff. I know that, and God keeps his promises. I know that. Problem is, is I end up misunderstanding what God said. And it's not a new problem. I mean, the reality is, here's, 
here's this whole story we're telling there. Jeremiah is prophesying that a king's going to come. And Jesus shows up and nobody recognizes him because they didn't look like the king they were expecting. They thought he was a political king. But instead he came as a king of a heavenly kingdom. It brought miracles and signs and they didn't... And they, you know, it's funny because you read the New Testament and here's what happens. They see all these miracles and people's response to it is, great, when are we going to overthrow the government? We're just wired that way, aren't we? Oh, great. Oh, this guy got his eyes. He, they were blind. He had no optical nerve because he was blind from birth. He couldn't. So God made a creative miracle, put a new optical nerve between his eye and his brain, and suddenly he could see, and they go, great. When can we set up the new kingdom here on earth? Do you think they maybe mistook what God meant? So the thing is, was God still fulfilling his promise even when they got it wrong? God was fulfilling his promise even when we misunderstood the promise. Even when we misunderstood Luke, Luke chapter 2, verse 4 to 7, it says, So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. Nobody expected that righteous branch, that olive branch that God prophesied in Jeremiah, that God told them in advance in Jeremiah would come to be the king, nobody was looking for him in a cow barn. Because they didn't think that's how he would come. Is it possible, can I ask you today, is it possible that maybe some of the things that you're expecting from God and you had a promise from God, maybe you don't fully understand it? Is it just possible? Does that mean God's not faithful? No, God is faithful. God fulfills his promises. Charles Spurgeon said, Do not look to your hope, but to Christ, the source of your hope. When I was a kid, growing up in church, we used to sing this little Sunday school song. It was, Every promise in the book is mine. Every chapter, every verse, every, my wife's not, every chapter, every verse, every, every promise in the book is mine, every chapter, every verse, every line. I think that we have inadvertently in church and in Christianity, I think if we have inadvertently, inadvertently put our focus on the wrong thing when it comes to the promises of God. I think we've been more concerned about confessing our promises and believing God for the promises, then we've actually been confessing the promiser. See, our hope is only as good as the one who makes the promise. Our hope doesn't matter about the promise. The hope depends upon the promiser. And so when in... in uh, in Jeremiah, when they promise that God will send a branch, an olive branch to them, and there will be a restoration taking place, they went, we think that means politics. We think that means 
something else. But yet God still fulfilled his word. There's things in your life, there's things in my life today that truthfully we need, we need some hope. You, we, can, we can look at our world around us, we can look at the things that are not going well, we can th look at the deficits, we can look at the problems we have in life and that can get really discouraging. But if we look at the one who is the promiser, then we have something to put and build our hope on. He promised the Messiah, the Messiah came. See, when we have hope, life is lighter. In uh, Isaiah chapter 40, verse 31, it says, but those who hope in the Lord, some of us have that in our Bibles, it says those that wait on the Lord, but NIV says those that hope in the Lord will renew their strength. Those that hope in the Lord. It doesn't say those that hope for the promises to be fulfilled. It says those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. Those who hope in the Lord, those who are looking to the Lord and saying, God, I am putting my hope in you. I, I, I'm hoping today, I'm hoping today that you're seeing the distinction that I'm trying to make. That there is a difference between hoping in some promises and, there's, and there is hoping in the promiser. Because as soon as we hope in the promises, then it opens us up to our interpretation of the promises. And then we blame God because he didn't do it the way we wanted him to. He didn't do it the way that we had interpreted that it would happen. And we get discouraged, but today the strength of our hope, the place where we hope is not in God's promises, but in the one who promises. I know it's just a fine little line here I'm trying to make, but I, I believe it's such an important line that we make. Because we can get so caught up, you know, I'm, I'm, right now I'm in a, in a course, we're doing a lot of biblical exegesis. It's just a fancy word for trying to figure out what the Bible means. And uh, that fancy word for figuring out how the Bible means is also a little bit dangerous to me. Because I realize that I can spend so much time trying to figure out what the Bible means and forget about the person who wrote the Bible or who inspired the Bible. And if I get so stuck, here, here's something that's really maybe interesting to you, I don't know, but we were never intended to hold the Bible as an object of worship. The Bible only points to the one who we worship. The Bible is actually just a means to an end, not an end in itself. And, and today, I, I, I want you to hear this. You've been hanging on to some promises of God. You've been hanging on to some stuff for your life. You say, this is what God's promise. This is what I'm expecting. This is what I'm believing. I'm asking you today to just shift your attention a little bit. Are you hearing me? I'm asking you just to shift your mindset just a little bit. Don't base your hope on the promise. Base your hope on the promiser. Because he never changes. Because he never fails. Because he never leaves us or forsakes us. 
We misunderstand him. We misunderstand what he says. We get different ideas about what he means. But he doesn't fail us. Martin Luther King Jr. said it this way. He said, we must accept finite disappointment, but we must never lose infinite hope. You can only have infinite hope when it's placed in the infinite God. The eternal hope in the eternal God. I, today, as we head into, as we start into our Advent season, talking about hope today, I, I want to make sure that we're putting our hope in the right thing. That we're putting our hope in God, not in what we think about God. That we put our hope in God, not in what we think he says. See, the interesting thing to me is that if we put our hope in God, it means we need a relationship with God. You can hear God's promises without ever knowing God. You can try to believe his promises. You can believe all those things. You can try to hope in the promises, but you can never hope in God without a relationship with God. And that's why Jesus came. That's why today, and I started off saying, asking you if you knew what an olive branch is, and Jeremiah said, I'm going to send a branch. Today, God puts out his hand with an olive branch to each of us today. With an offer of reconciliation and restoration. You might feel far from God. You might say, I, I, I've done these things that keep me from God. God's saying, let me take the first step. I'm sending Jesus the branch. And if we believe in him, isn't that amazing what Paul wrote in Romans? If we believe and confess, if we believe that this is Jesus, we will be changed. We will be forgiven. We will be. Our life will be set on a different path. Thanks for tuning in today. Each week, we gather in cities across our region and online to explore the truth of freedom available to all in the message of Jesus Christ. To find a gathering near you or to find out more, head to c3church.ca.